First of all, I want to thank you all for participating with the elders in the selection that is going forward. As you are aware, this is the last day that we have given to submit names of men you would have us to consider going forward to serve this congregation in the capacity as elders, shepherds, or bishops. And today we start a second leg of things. And so in a few weeks, you'll be asked to also look out among you and select those who might be ones who fit the descriptions of someone that would be a deacon. And so this morning, I want to begin the journey of working through this material. It is not the marathon that the material with the elders were. There'll be three lessons in this particular consideration. And then at the end of that, we'll lay out before you the groundwork that we'll go forward with as we move forward in further developing the organization of this congregation. And so this morning, I want to speak to you relative to the idea of deacons. When we think of this term deacon, when you hear the word deacon, what pops into your mind? Is it some sort of official? Maybe like a board of deacons in some denomination? Bosses? What pops into your mind when you hear the word deacon? What we're going to see is this word has a completely different understanding than what the religious world at large has and what many of brethren often think about this. The first interesting thing about this word is it's used over a hundred times in the New Testament. Two times it is untranslated. And those two times occur in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, where the church at Philippi is acknowledged with being the bishops and deacons and saints. The second time it occurs where it is not translated is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And so the translators did not do us any favor by putting the word deacon there and also the word office with that. But we're going to look at this morning and see, describe the person, and they describe something of the work that is there. So the first thing we want to consider when we look at this is we want to consider the servant from the noun form. Look at this from the noun form, and begin with me in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 26. And we're just going to roll through some passages and make some comments as we look at these passages. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 26. He says, yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. There is our word that is translated deacon. Notice he doesn't say, let him be your deacon. We're describing the man. And the man is described as a servant. The one that would be greatest among you, let him be your servant. Look at Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. And look at verse 4. Romans chapter 13 and verse 4. Notice what he says here. 
for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister to avenge, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Here is our word, but it's in the word minister. Minister is someone who serves. And so here he talks about an official that has been delegated the authority to enforce law. And he is called a minister, a servant. But also notice something else here. The something else here is to notice that he is assigned a specific task. He is not a minister in general. He is someone who has assigned a specific task that is given. And so look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And look at verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you have believed as the Lord gave to each one. Again, we have our word here, minister. That's our word we're talking about. That is come from the translation of deacon. So who's he talking about? Is he talking about Paul and Apollos preachers? No, in these first four chapters, he's using himself and Apollos and Cephas to spare the ones in Corinth who people are having a case of preacheritis over. He's not saying, here are these two noteworthy preachers. But what he's saying here is, as ambassadors, not as preachers, but as ambassadors. Ambassadors of Christ, what do they do? They are servants. They are ministers. Then look at what you have in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And look at verses 11 through 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 11 through 15. Why? Because I do not love you, God knows. But what I do, I will continue to do. That I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. Now, here you have evil spirits. Here you have evil spirits, and notice what they're called. He says, therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers, there's our word, if his servants. And so you have those who, who are servants with regard to some civil responsibility. You have those who have, are servants as ambassadors of Christ. And here you have those who are servants of evil or servants of Satan. But notice they're described as ministers or servants. That's how they're described. Now observe something so far in this. Nothing so far that we've looked at has anything to do with something official. Like here, here, here's something official... And here's this official that rules. Here's this official that is a dictator. Nor do we find anything so far that has to do on parallel with regard to the descriptions that we gave of an elder, a bishop, or deacon. 
not saying here this here is this deacon here's this servant we describe as a deacon and he is now going to rule alongside an elder a bishop or deacon something else notice it doesn't describe a deacon as an elder in training Neither does it describe a deacon as a junior elder. Now, the happenstance may be that men who begin to serve a congregation in the role of an elder, shepherd, or bishop may well have been those who've been serving the congregation in the role of a servant from which they've been asked to serve a specific task. That may well be. But just because a man is asked to serve a congregation as a servant in a special task doesn't mean he is on par with the authority and the rule that elders have. Neither is he on par of being someone who is an elder in training. They're not junior elders. There's nothing official that's given here with regard to the description that we've seen so far. All we've seen so far is he's simply described as a servant. One more passage when we consider the noun form. Look at Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. And look at verse 1. Romans chapter 16 and verse 1. I commend you to Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sincrea. That word servant there is the word that's not translated, deacon, in Philippians chapter 1 and 1 Timothy 3, the very word we've been looking at. Notice it doesn't say that she's a dictator. It doesn't say she rules. It says here she is a servant of the church. So you have a servant in civil authorities. You have a servant of Satan. You have a servant with regard to the preaching of the gospel or as an ambassador. But here you find Phoebe was a servant of the church. Someone says, well, we need to find a role for a woman to occupy the office of a deacon. No. What we need to find is a work for workers to do. And we find a work for workers to do, then we have found a servant. And Phoebe was simply a servant of the church. Now put a peg there. We're going to talk about women deacon or no women deacons when we get to the description in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll come back and deal with that later. But all I want you to see right here is she doesn't occupy some official capacity. She's not on par with running things. She's not functioning as an elder. She's not running or functioning with the elders. She's simply occupied or, or described as someone who is a servant of the church. There ought to be a place for anybody and everybody who wants to be a servant of the church. And so when we begin to describe this, what we also describe as they're looked at in, in the New Testament is they're described as a labor of love. Now, a couple of little tidbit things along the way. When the Greeks looked at someone who was described a servant, they described those who were shopkeepers, bakers, things like that, as being on a lower rung of things. A little more elevated would have been physicians or teachers. But still, they were viewed as someone who was less. Among the Jews, they did not have that kind of stereotype, although among the Jews, it was still someone that was lower. 
Someone that was a servant was someone that was lower than someone that had an elevated position. Though among the Jews, a servant was still elevated, not as low as the Greeks. The Greeks looked at it from the standpoint of someone who had demonstrated loyalty and therefore was worthy of respect. The Jews looked at it as someone who was a servant, but just not as high as those who were elevated. So in either case, the servant was looked at, as servants were looked at, as someone that was lower, not someone that was elevated. And so you think about those considerations as we look at the man, how he's described. He's described as a servant. But now let's look, second of all, let's look at the verb form, because this describes what the man is doing. The man is described as a servant, but now it describes what he's doing. If you saw a carpenter building a house, would you say that he does carpentry? Yeah. You describe him as a carpenter, that's who he is, but what does he do? He does carpentry. Well, look at the use of the term here. Look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and look at verse 40. Luke chapter 10 and verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She approached him and said, Lord, do you not, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Serving, serving occupied, serving the table, and serving at the table. And here notice, Martha is distracted with much serving until my sister to serve with me. What do servants do? They serve. Servants serve. And here is our word. Martha is described as someone who is serving. Look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And look at verses 35 through 37. Luke chapter 12, 35 through 37. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he returns from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, well, if I am watching, assuredly I say to you that he will gird himself and will have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. Now, here is not the servant of the house serving. Here's the servant of the house being served. Here in this instance, the master comes and he girds himself and he has the servant sit down and he serves the servant. Again, you have the idea of serving a table or serving at a table. Here is this one that is being served. But now you reverse that, look at Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, and look at verse 8. Luke chapter 17, and look at verse 8. I'll back up to verse 6. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it will obey you. And which of you, having a servant... Plowing or tending sheep will say to him, 
when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper, gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink. Here's just the opposite from Luke chapter 12. Here the master comes in and the servant serves the master. But look at what he's doing. He is involved in serving. Look at Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Look at verse 27. Luke chapter 22. Look at verse 27. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. Here you have the greater that's considered. Who's the greater? He said, I sit at the table who's someone who serves. A servant serves. But now look at Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. While the word deacon or servant is not applied in Acts chapter 6 to, these, to this circumstance, that is certainly what we're going to see them doing. In Acts chapter 6, you see a problem that has developed. Among those who have some need, the Jewish widows are obviously being taken care of. But in verse 1 it says, In those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there rose a complaint against the Hebrew by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So here you have those among the Hellenists, those who were not pure Jews. They had some kind of uh, breeding of Jews in them, some Jewish line, but they were not pure Jews. So here you had the Jewish women that are being served, but those who were not pure Jewish women, they're not being served. Now make another observation here. By the time you come to Acts chapter 6, the church has grown in Jerusalem to well over 5,000 people. If we are able to calculate the numbers from Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 correctly. Would it not be possible in a group of 5,000 people for someone to possibly be overlooked? And that's what's taking place. And so the apostles see that. And the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, Is it not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables? Pause. If there's 5,000 people there, it says they summoned the multitude of the disciples. Did they summon the 5,000 multitude? Or did they summon those who were representative of the 5,000 among them to consider this? And what they ask them to do. It says, it's not desirable for us to serve table. Therefore, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation for the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now you have two kinds of servants here. You have those that are servants of the word. And the apostles say, it's not fit that we leave serving the word. Therefore, you need to ask someone among you, you need to appoint someone among you to serve tables. The apostles are serving, but they're serving the word. And now there needs to be some who will serve these who are being overlooked. But notice again, there's a specific task assigned to it. 
he says again that we may appoint over this business. Over what business? Over the business of serving the tables to provide for these Hellenist widows. And so like in Romans chapter 13, you have a specific task assigned to what is being asked to do here. The point I'm making with a specific task is you don't appoint men to be deacons so you can have names on a letterhead. How many deacons do you have? I was asked this, this last week. People are asking about the, the organization of the church, asking about Campbell Road. How many deacons do you have? I, th- I say, I think we have 20 or 21. But we're about to enter a process of, 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 of appointing more. But we don't just need 20 or 21 guys who can occupy an office, an official role, so they can have their name on the letterhead. That doesn't, that doesn't function or help anybody. We have 20 or 21 men who have been appointed a task to serve this church and fulfill the needs this church has that these men appointed can perform. That's what you have taking place in Acts chapter 6, whether they're called that or not. So you have those who are serving the word, and the apostles say, we have a unique responsibility. Anybody can serve tables, and he's not diminishing them. Anybody can serve tables. But not anybody just now, in this time that they're speaking, can serve the word. At this time, the inspired word is in the inspired man. Today, we have the inspired word in the inspired book. And we can go to the inspired book, we don't have the inspired man. But here they're going to serve tables. Just a second sidebar. We often go to Acts chapter 6 to say, this is how you do this. Ask the church to select. Well, wait a minute. If you go back to Acts chapter 2, the 12 summoned the multitude. Who'd they summon? They probably summoned the representatives. Acts chapter 6 tells us what is done. Acts chapter 6 doesn't tell us how it's done. It may well be that it is fit and proper, according to the judgment of the congregation, the leadership, that the congregation is asked, please submit names. But it's also fit and proper for those who represent the congregation to put forth names for the congregation to consider. And in doing so, you still have the group selecting the men. As we've chosen to do it, we asked the congregation to give us names. In the past years ago, the leadership put forth the names for the congregation to consider. In Acts chapter 6, we are told there are some who are summoned that represent the group. And they are asked, please select the men among you. The representatives put forth the names. That is equally a thing that could have happened as well. As opposed to saying 5,000 people, give us 5,000 ballots to give us seven men. And so seven men are asked, and what do these seven men do? They're appointed to it. By the way, they're serving Hellenistic widows who have some Greek in them. Have you ever paid attention to the seven men that were appointed? They were not Jewish men. They were Greek men. Greek men apt to serve Greek widows. I think that's a significant thing to consider when asking someone to serve others and so you find them serving and they're serving tables and they're serving the word look again with me at hebrews chapter 6 hebrews chapter 6 
Hebrews chapter 6 and look at verse 10. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Here is this work that's called a labor of love. And God sees that when you serve his name and you serve his people. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12. To them it was revealed, not to themselves... But to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit and sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. Here you have the idea of ministering to the things that have been reported. And look at 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And look at verses 10 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. As each one received a gift, minister it to one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, if anyone speaks, then speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominions forever and ever. Now, two observations about this reading. Number one, here are those who minister to one another, and it's called a stewardship. These who are involved in the ministering, the serving, it's called a stewardship. In other words, they're acting on behalf of another. They're acting for the benefit and the good of another. Here you have the owner of the vineyard, and he leaves it in the hands of the servant. He's a steward of the vineyard that belongs to the vine dresser. Here you have the stewardship that is given to someone as a minister. And then the second thing you notice here is he says, minister it to one another according to the manifold grace of God and in keeping with the ability which God supplies. So here's someone who has been given an ability to serve in a particular task. And so here is a minister described as a servant with one considered as a steward as well. Then look at a couple of other things that describe this. Turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 17. Acts chapter 1 and verse 17. Speaking of Judas and the loss of Judas... It says, verse 16, men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which was the Holy, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part of the ministry. And if you go on down, he says in verse 24, it's written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, that another may take his office, his bishopric, his ability to oversee as we looked at it when we looked at bishops. But notice Judas has a part in this ministry. Here he is called a minister, a servant, had a part in serving as 
an apostle. And look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm sorry, chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And look at verse 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 15. I urge you, brethren, your household Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, that they devote themselves to the ministry of the saints. Notice you have this household who are described as those who have devoted themselves. That word devoted is the word from which, which get, from which we get the word addicted. They had addicted themselves to the service of the saints. Here's someone that has a passion for serving. Not someone that is forced to serve, but someone who has a passion to doing this. They are addicted to it. They are devoted to it. And so here you have those who have a passion for it. And then turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And then we'll pause and make some closing observations. Romans chapter 12 and look at verse 10. As you back up to verse 6, he says, Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. For he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectioned to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to another. Notice how he lists these gifts that are here. I don't think these are ne necessarily supernatural gifts. And one of them is, if he has a gift of serving, let him serve. And how does he do that? With kindly affection. How does he do that? In honor, giving preference to another. So here you have someone that has a gift of teaching, teach. A teacher teaches. A servant serves. If that's the gift, then serve. Sometimes you'll hear someone call about, well, this is my love language. Well, here's a person's love language. They're a servant who serves. And let him serve. Now, what are some observations we can make, without, make about this? First of all, when we work with the identification of a deacon, we don't work with the idea of someone that rules or someone that's a dictator. And it's not some official office. There's no indication of an office here. It's described like the work of an elder, a bishop, or a, a shepherd as a work. There's no idea associated with any kind of official place. A deacon is identified with a particular person and a particular task. Always a servant serving to do a particular task. You don't find deacons in general. You don't find servants in general. Why do we want people who were workers to appoint without appointing with a view to a particular task? Well, we just need some deacons. The church has got to have deacons. No. It's not just the church has to have deacons. What's the particular task? And who's the particular person that 
can exercise that particular task. Another thing, why continue the appointed task if the task has been fulfilled? What happened in Acts chapter 6 after the, full, after the Hellenist widows had been fulfilled? What were they appointed? To? These specific men were asked to perform a particular task. Did they just then take on the role of an official deacon and now they don't have a task? Would it not also be that the length of time served is commensurate with the task and the length of the task to serve? If all the widows in Jerusalem, all the widows in Jerusalem had their need met, would there be, then be a need for these seven men? And when business is over, what do you do with them? Well, they're still going to be servants, but they're not asked to serve in a particular task. Now, what that all goes to say is this. This local church has particular tasks that need to be done. And they're ongoing. They never seem to end. In fact, there seems to be more coming all the time. And so there are men who are needed all the time. There's never a task that runs out here. Like maybe Acts chapter 6. And so there's always going to be a need to have men asked to do a particular task, but they're asked to do that task to serve in that task. So when we come to you and ask you to appoint men to serve, to select men to be appointed to serve this congregation as servants to a task, then you need to know the task. So you can find the man that suits the task. We're not just coming to you because we say, okay, we got 21, we need 25. Can you give us four more? The deacons that we have serving now, the servants that we've asked to serve appointed tasks now, serve admirably. And many times, their plate is passed full. And many times they could use further assistance in the task they have been appointed to serve. Do you see how looking at these passages takes us away from something that happens in the religious world where this is just some official that sits on some board to help make decisions for a group? Or these are our deacons. Let me introduce to you our deacons. These are our office holders. No, these are the men this church has asked to perform a particular task, and they perform that task well. That's what we find about how the man is described and the work that he does. He is a servant who serves a particular task to serve the whole. And he has a gift of serving. And has already demonstrated that he is serving as a servant. We'll close there for the morning. Thank you for your attention and thinking about this with me. We're going to have a word of prayer and then a final song. And then we'll be dismissed to, to our classes. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com questions at thebibleway.com we'd love to have you in person come if you can but thank you for connecting with us